All right, if you would take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 as we continue in our study through this book of 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Did all eat the same spiritual meat? Did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them were also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but just as it is common to man. The God is faithful, who not suffer to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Title of this message this morning, Is God Pleased With Me? Is God Pleased With Me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. And Father, we thank you that you've preserved your word for us and that we can study and have assurance that it is the very words of God. And I pray, Father, that as we consider that this morning, that we would honor it as it is your word and obey it, give heed to it. For these things are written for our example and for our admonition, for our daily living in this world we live in today. So Lord, just help us, strengthen us, challenge us from your word, and may you be glorified. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many times people think, and Christians think, that because they are getting their way or circumstances are working out that it must be God's will. It must be God's will. It's working out. But you know, it also worked out for Lot to pitch his tent towards Sodom. And then to move into Sodom and sit in the gate. It worked out. It seemed to work out for Israel to have a king and it worked out for Saul to find a witch when he couldn't get an answer from the Lord. It just worked out. It worked out for David to go to the Philistines. In fact, the king even gave him a city to live in, Ziklag. But you know, in doing so, he almost lost everything he had, including his wives and children. It worked out for Paul to go to Jerusalem, but in doing so, he lost his freedom. For he was arrested 
and for the remainder, the most of the rest of his life, he lived as a prisoner. And of course, you know, as we think about that this morning, the question again, the title of the message is, is God's pleased with me? We have to understand that just because things work out doesn't mean it's necessarily God's will. We do have a free will. There's a couple of verses in Psalm 106 that goes along with what we're looking at here this morning. Concerning the children of Israel, it says in Psalm 106, verse 13 and 14, they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request. In other words, God allowed them to get what they wanted. He actually gave them what they wanted. This is talking about the, the meat. But it says he sent leanness into their soul. Somebody said they got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. That leanness means a scantiness or an emptiness or an unsatisfied soul. You know, really the idea here is they were, they were desirous of the things that pleased the flesh and they lost their walk, their satisfaction of their walk with God. So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning, is God pleased with me? To be well pleased, that phrase means that to take pleasure in one. So it, does God take pleasure in me in what I'm doing? Now, one of those three things here this morning as we think about this to kind of set the stage, and probably next week what I'm planning on doing is really taking apart verse 13 piece by piece because that's a, that's a pivotal verse, very important that we understand that. But this is the preface to that. So as we consider this morning, first of all, their position in verses 1 and 2 you know, he, again, using the illustration of the children of Israel for the church at Corinth and also for us today. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So their position was, first of all, they were under the cloud. They were under the cloud. The word under here speaks of a, of a position or in a proper sense to be put under. Speaks like of being under an authority or under a place of protection. That's it. So when he says they were under the cloud, and of course we know that cloud that followed them, it followed them during their entire journey through from the time they encamped against the Red Sea, there's a cloud came, came and, and separated them and the, and the, 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 uh, the Egyptians. And so one couldn't come from, go from one to the other because of the cloud. And that we know that that cloud speaks of the presence of God. But it was a protection, and they were under that, whether it be by day or by night. You know, there's a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night, the Bible tells us. So they were under that cloud. And so it speaks of being placed under. It speaks of being under the place of leadership and protection. You know, sort of like we would, in a storm, you would, if you were out, you would look for a place of shelter to get under to protect you. And so they were, they were, and it says they were all under the cloud. They were also all passed through the sea. They all passed through the sea, verse 1 says. Uh, to pass through, of course, means to go through, or it carries the idea of an experience that I went through. Now, and did they ever have an experience? Think about that. Going through the middle of a sea. 
on dry land. That, was, that had to be quite an experience. They, they passed through, the Bible says they, you know, they passed through a sea that was congealed. Uh, <coughs> is what Exodus chapter 15 verse 8 says. With the blasts of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together, the floods stood upright as in heap, the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. That word congeal means to draw up or to thicken. You know, sort of like the idea or to curdle. Uh, in fact, it's used, the, word, the same Hebrew word is translated curdled in Job 10.10 10 says, Hast thou not poured me out as milk and curdled me like cheese? You know, all, milk, all cheese is is thickened milk. And so, so God congealed the sea and it stood up like two walls and the children of Israel passed through. I mean, this, this speaks of a, a great or a special deliverance. You know, Pharaoh has said they're entangled in the wilderness. The wilderness has shut them in. They have no way of escape. But remember what verse 13 says here. God is able to make a way to escape. See, with God, there's always a way. If we were walking in the will of God, there's always a way. Always. We just have to be wait on Him and trust Him to make that way plain to us. And so they passed through this sea. They passed through it. It was an experience. An experience they would, well, they should have never forgotten. How often do we go through experiences in life? The Lord allows us to go through experiences that we say, wow, that was just, that's just, you know, it's just unbelievable. And how often we forget what God did for us. They all pass through that experience. It also says that they're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Of course, baptism is a picture of a, or a testimony of submission, of, of death to self. And it says they were baptized. You know, they, these were a self-willed people. You know, are any of us not self-willed? I mean, but these were a self-willed people. And so they had submitted, at this point, they had submitted to Moses' leadership. To follow him. You know, the Lord didn't say to the children of Israel, you know, hold out your rod and the sea went. No, he said to Moses, hold out your rod over the sea. And so they were to follow, they were to submit to Moses' leadership. So the idea here is that they were immersed under the leadership of Moses with a cloud guiding from above and, and, you know, and the Lord with the leadership of Moses making a path through the sea. It, it, it was a way through experiences of life, you know, they were there shut in and they were closed, they were cornered. You know, and you might say, did they have a choice? You know, we always have a choice. Yeah, they did. They could follow Moses through the sea. Or they could just stay there. And when the Egyptians come, because they were coming, when the rest of the children of Israel went on through the, through the sea, those that decided they didn't want to go could have just stayed there and said, all right, we give up. We'll go back and be slaves in Egypt. Now, how often do we just kind of give up and say, okay, we'll just do it the world's way. Forget about God's way. No, they followed Moses through the sea. Now, I don't know about you, but Walking through the midst of a sea and walls of water on each side would have been kind of a fearful experience, I think. 
But I don't know with you, but what I find when, when, when the Lord does something, he gives you the assurance and confidence that he's there. And, you know, they experienced these, these experiences because of the position they were in. But I want you to notice, secondly, their provision. So we see their position. They were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all baptized, submitted to Moses' leadership. But notice in, verse, in verses 3 and 4, their provision. It, is, it says, and they did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. Drink, For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now he talks about two things here, uh, speaking of their provision, two things, meat and drink. Now the meat, he says, of course he calls it spiritual meat and spiritual drink. And I believe he's referring to the manna. It's, it's that which was produced by the power of God himself without natural means. I mean, it just appeared every morning on the ground like a frost. And they would go out and gather it up. But they were only to gather what was sufficient for the day. Psalm 78, verses 23 to 25 says, Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down man upon them to eat, had given them the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food, and he sent them meat to the full. To the full. Yeah, they really had it easy. Now think about this. Now I thought about this. They really had it easy. They, all they, they, just, they could just live like children. You know, when I was growing up, when I was little, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, I never worried a bit about what I was going to eat. It just always appeared on the table. Now, you know, as I got older, I began to understand how that food appeared there. But when I was three and four and five, I had no idea how it got there. You know, I'd see my mom working at the stove, you know, and, and we had one of those old wooden cook stoves, and she did a lot of the cooking on that thing, you know, for years until I was about 15 years old. We finally got rid of that thing, and she got an electric stove. But, but you know, she'd be over there, you know, working and preparing food, but it always just appeared on the table. I didn't have to worry about it. You know, now it's kind of my responsibility. And now, now I'm concerned about how that food gets on the table. But, but, but these, the children of Israel, it just appeared every day and they were just like children to go out and get it. And it said they had meat to the full. And they also had drink, spiritual drink. Exodus 15, 23 to 25 says, When they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. People murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which he had cast into the waters. The waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. You know, so again, you know, there was water, but it was, it, was, it was bitter. It was poisonous. And so the Lord uh, directed Moses to put a tree in it, and it made it sweet. Uh, Exodus 17, 6, Again, behold, I will stand there upon the rock, and Horeb, thou shalt smite the rock. There shall come water out of it, 
that the people may drink, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Uh, and again, Numbers 20, 11, Moses lifted up the hand as was rod, he smote the rock twice. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. So you might say, well, why is this called spiritual drink? For it was H2O. Just like the same kind of water you drink. Well, it was. I, I just. I do have to say this, though. It had. It's, it had to be better than city water. But <clears throat> sorry, brother Hoyle. But uh, you know, it would have been. <clears throat> so why was it called spiritual drink? And there's an interesting thing here. And notice in verse four, it says, "And that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ." The word followed means to join as an attendant. Now, an attendant is a person who attends to another. To perform a service. And so that rock followed them throughout their wilderness journeys as an attendant to attend to their needs. You know, what do we need to survive? We need food and drink and shelter. Did they have that? They had it. And that rock, and here's why it's called spiritual meat and spiritual drink, because that rock from which they drank or that water which they drank followed them throughout. You know, they're in a desert, There isn't water everywhere in the desert. There isn't an an abundance of rivers and lakes like there is in Maine. You know, there's there's lakes and rivers everywhere in Maine. Uh, And, you know, states like Wisconsin as well. But but no, so, so, but this, it says this rock followed them. This water is called spiritual because of its source. It was provided by the Lord as was the manna. And again, the cloud was also provided by the Lord. Exodus 13.22 says, He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He took not away. Uh, Exodus 40.38, For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So the point here is that everything they needed to sustain them in the wilderness, you know, the desert of Sinai was provided for by day and by night by the Lord Jesus Christ. The manna from heaven, the water out of the rock, the cloud by day, and the pillar of fire by night. And there was always enough, but none to waste. Do you remember what happened when they went out and thought they'd be gather more than they needed? Because bread worms and stank. You know, really what they did is they acted in distrust and gathered more than enough for the day, and it got wormy and stank. When they ate the, the meat or the quail that God provided, they ate like gluttons, and they got sick, and some of them even died. You see, they were to receive all this by faith, 
And their faith was to be demonstrated by every day going out and getting just what they needed. Just what they needed. Do you know what the Lord was doing? He was teaching them to trust Him. Because there were battles coming. There were battles coming. There were giants they're going to have to face to go to the land that they were promised. And the Lord's teaching, you learn to trust me. You learn to trust me. Yeah, the Lord has promised to provide our needs. And we are to use what means he has provided. You know, in the wilderness, it was supplied supernaturally. But when the children of Israel got to the land, it was provided through natural means. In other words, go to work, earn a living, and provide. Of course, that's what we do today. And so, so this was their provision through the wilderness. So they were all, you know, their position, or, uh, I'm sorry, their provision. Yeah, their, their position, they were all baptized, in, passed through the sea, all under the cloud, baptized under Moses. They all drank. Their provision was all the same. But I want you to notice thirdly, and this is where uh, the things begin to break down, their practice in verses 5 through 11, with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. These things were our examples to the tent. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as some of them, as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them foreign samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the practice here is, and the way God describes their practice is, he was not well pleased. In other words, he didn't play, take pleasure in the way they lived and acted. You know, well pleased means to take pleasure in, to be favorably inclined Toward one. But because he says, it says, they lusted after evil things. It, that lust after evil means of a bad nature, not such as it ought to be. Uh, it, it speaks of a mode of thinking and feeling and acting that is base, wrong, or wicked. Really what it is, is they acted on the flesh. They acted to please them, their bodies and not to please their spirits. That's what Paul talked about in chapter 9, the end of the verse there. He said, I bring my body under subjection. In other words, I subdue my body. I don't live to please my body or my flesh, my passions. I live to please God. So but these people, they lusted after evil things. In other words, they were controlled by their fleshly desires. And that's what they live by. And it manifests itself in many ways. And he lists them here. First of all, idolatry. 
verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters, as some of them also were, as it is written, people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Uh, idolatry, you know, idolatry is really just putting something or someone else in the place of God. You know, the idol can be a person. It can be a spouse. It can be children. You know, it, it, can, be, it can be a job. Uh, you know, it can be anything that you put in the place. It can be money. You know, it, it can be any multitude of things that we put in God's place that, that controls or directs our life above what the Lord does. Remember when Moses was up on the mountain, he was up there 40 days and 40 nights, and they went to Aaron and said, Make us a God that shall go before us. You know really what the problem was, I think, is they had already in their minds made Moses a God. And when he disappointed them, they went to someone else. You know, I believe that's what happens in churches a lot. People come to church because they like the preacher. Because he's got charm or charisma or he's a great speaker or an orator. And they get enamored with the preacher or he's funny. And they just love the preacher. Until something, he disappoints them in some way, so they find another guy that they're enamored with. And what they do is they've made an idol out of the preacher. And they follow the preacher and not, not the God. Yeah, we are to follow spiritual leadership, but we aren't to make idols out of them. And I believe they'd, made up, they'd already, in their minds, to them, Moses was it. They didn't look beyond Moses, that there was somebody leading Moses. And so when Moses was gone for 40 days, well, Aaron makes something else. It's idolatry. Fornication. Of course, fornication means to give oneself under, un, over to unlawful uh, sexual desires. And so, they, you know, of course, this often goes along with idolatry. We see these two connected many times in the Bible. So they began to commit fornication with those around them, particularly the Moabites. And then it says they also tempted Christ. Verse 9 says, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them were also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Now, to tempt Christ means by the... the the Greek lexicon describes the definition this way, by irreligion and immorality to test the patience or the avenging power of Christ. <clears throat> you remember when Satan, devil tempted the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. In verses 6 and 7, you know, it says in, it, he, that Satan said to the Lord, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus' response was, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so what Satan is saying to the Lord is, You need to, you need to manipulate God to act in your defense by doing something, excuse the word, but stupid. 
just to prove to the world that you are the Son of God. He didn't have to prove to the world. And so the children, what, the, what, what the Bible is saying here is about children of Israel, so they were doing stuff in rebellion to, against the Lord to, to try and manipulate the Lord to show himself or to prove that he really would discipline them like he said he would. Well, I know he's, that's what he said, but you know, will he really do it? You know, children do that with their parents. Dad or mama says no, and children act like, hmm, I wonder if they'll really do anything about it if I do it anyway. Well, if they got a good parent, they're going to find out that no means no. That there are consequences to disobedience. You know, the children will find out there were severe consequences to them tempting Christ. You know, really what this is, it's an attempt to manipulate God to act in their defense, even though they did what they wanted and not what he wanted. You know, God will, will act on our behalf when we submit to him and act in obedience. But when we sin and rebel against God, God only has one alternative. And that is to judge us for our sin. Because he's a holy and righteous God. And it says, don't, don't tempt Christ. Because the Lord is a righteous a God of judge, justice and judgment. They also murmured, verse 10, or verse 10 says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmur, were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, murmur, this means to discontentedly complain. Kind of reminds me of Matthew chapter 20. Jesus told about, about a man who hired men to work in his vineyard. And he promised them a penny a day. So at noontime, he goes out again, and he sees more men standing idle, and he, he says to them, come work in my vineyard, and I'll give you a wage worthy of your labor. And so they go work in his vineyard. And later he goes out and hires some more guys and promises them to pay them uh, sufficient for their labor, and they go work for him too. And at the end of the day, they all come by, and he starts with those who worked earliest, and he gave them a penny a day. And those who started at noon, he gave a penny. And those who started later, he gave a penny. But those who started early in the day murmured. They murmured against the good one of the house. In other words, they were discontent with what they got because others didn't work as long as they did and they got the same amount of pay. You see, they were discontent with what they had received even though they had received exactly what they had agreed on. Now, how often do we, are we discontent or complain about what God has given to us? So as you think about this, to bring it all kind of a conclusion, to lust after evil things, you know, again, I'm reminded that speaks of a bad nature 
or uh, uh, thinking as we ought not to think or, or uh, acting in a way that is, that is base or wrong or wicked. You know, they lived after a fall of the flesh. They lived to satisfy the, the lust and the passions of the body. They, they did not bring it into subjection. You know, and Paul tells us in Romans 8.13 that if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body... Ye shall live. And that's what Paul is saying here in chapter 9. If you go back to chapter 9, he says in verse 27, I keep under my body. In other words, I don't live after my flesh. I don't let my flesh control my life. I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So he said, I, I, I mortify the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit of God. See, the children of Israel, there was constant dissatisfaction with what God had given them. He gave them manna, angels' food. And they began to loathe this manna. That's how they looked at it, this manna. They had water from the rock. Meat to the full. A cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. But yet they were not satisfied. Of course, we are in Christ. We've experienced His saving grace. We've tasted of His word. We have heard you know, with our ears the words of God. And so how, how often do we fail to appropriate the victory He has given us because we are afraid or we are discontent with what God has given us? Or we're afraid of the obstacles that might appear in the way? Well, if I do that, People will think that I'm some kind of religious nut. I remember years ago there was a family who had children and they got saved. A couple got saved. They had teenage children. One of their concerns was how will their children receive the truth? If they embrace biblical standards and things like that, how will their children react? That was a real concern to them. But they continue to trust God. The oldest daughter's on the mission field. The second one, and I'm not sure where she is, girl. What last I knew she was in Bible college. The son wasn't in the ministry, but from what at last I heard, he was doing okay. You see, we're not to live to please the flesh. We need to, we need to trust that God's Commands are not grievous. They are right. He will, he will uh, provide for our needs. He will guide us. He will give us wisdom in each situation. And we simply need to trust him and trust his supply to meet our every need. You know, did the children of ever lack? There were times that God tested them, but did they ever lack? Did any of them die for lack of water? Did any of them die for lack of food? 
They were dissatisfied with the leadership of Moses. Why did he just lead them around in the wilderness? <laughs> so why did he? Because they, when he brought them to the Canaan land, they decided that it was not a good idea to go in. And that was a failure of the people, again, to appropriate the God, the victory God had promised them. God had said, go in and possess the land. So they had a choice. They had a choice. You know, verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And we're going to look at this more next week, but they had a choice to make. They had a test. God brought them to the land. They sent in the spies. And they come back, of course, with that evil report. They said there's giants in the land. Caleb and Joshua said, let's go up and possess it at once. The Lord hath given it to us. And so that was a test. That was a temptation. And, 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 and we understand that God is faithful. And, but they would not trust the Lord, to give him that land. Again, Psalm 106. <clears throat> and now I can read all this for sake of time, but Psalm 106, Verse 8 says, Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So led, he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him that hated him and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but had glusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. So all these children of Israel passed through the sea, were under the cloud, were baptized under Moses, had at one point submitted to Moses' leadership. But many of them, God was not well pleased, and they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, crossing Jordan and going into the Cain land speaks not of going to heaven. It speaks of victory. Going on in confidence and assurance in our walk with the Lord. Many of these that he says were not, he's not well pleased did not do that. Many of them, in fact, everyone over, was it 40, died in the wilderness. Because they failed to believe what God says. You know, Hebrews tells us that it was not mixed with faith. So they failed to appropriate the victory that God had promised them. And God sent leanness into their soul. He gave them a request. Okay, they didn't want to go in. They were afraid to go in. So he, he gave them what they wanted. Uh, and, and, and they never did attain the victory that God had promised. And those they said would be a prey, God took in their children.
And he says, these things are written for our examples, for our admonition, for our instruction as examples to us to not do like they did and to be warned of the consequences of doing like they did. That's what admonition means, to put in mind, to warn. You know, so in the trials and tests of life, in the circumstances of life, will we trust God, obey those he has put over us, will we accept his place and his provisions and align our practice with him, or are we going to do like many of the children of Israel did? They decided they wanted to go back to Egypt. You know, really what that means is they wanted to be like the world. They wanted to become slaves to Egypt again. They'd rather be slaves to Egypt than take the risk of faith and go in the land and conquer the giants. Because that's just an impossibility. I mean, God had already brought them through a sea. So what's so impossible about that? And if God has saved your soul, what's so impossible about Him giving you victory or enabling you to obey Him the rest of your life? Or commit to Him the rest of your life? That's what it boils down to. See, a lot of people want to be saved. They want to know they're going to heaven, but... I don't want God telling me what to do. That's what it boils down to. And really what that is is saying, God, you don't know what's best for me. You know, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I do have some plans tomorrow. But that, that's all subject to change. but God knows it. So why would I not commit the keeping of my soul to him? You know, how many times could you look back in your life and you thought about something, you were, you, there was something you were thinking about doing and, and the Lord put a stop to it? And you can look back now and say, boy, I'm so glad the Lord didn't allow me to do that. He knows the end from the beginning. So why, are we, would be fe- why would we be fearful of committing our life, our daily living to him? But that was the problem with the children of Israel. They didn't want to commit their daily living to him. They wanted to do it their way. They had a better plan than Moses' plan. What they didn't realize was Moses' plan was given to them by the Lord. So the question really boils down to this. 
what or whom are we going to yield to or allow to control us? Yeah, many people, many times people come come to churches, go to churches, and they they don't they're not satisfied with what they're getting. Maybe they want entertainment, so they go other places. But we need to learn to allow the Spirit of God to lead us, and allow the Lord to provide and be satisfied with what He has given us. And be content therein, knowing that it is for our good and his glory. So the question I would ask you or leave you with this morning is this. Is God pleased with you? Is God pleased with you? Or is he the one who is leading your life?